Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. People around the world and California continue to offer support for Ukraine as the Russian invasion of that country causes ever greater death, destruction, and suffering. Yesterday in Los Angeles, volunteers at the city's Ukrainian Cultural Center filled big plastic bags full of supplies dropped off by people. And Nikki showed me what she had brought, a car stuffed full of first aid supplies contributed through an online effort. We have uh, components in order to assemble little um, medical kits. So we have gloves, antibiotics, gauze. Well, I still have a few hundred boxes back at home that I have to unpack and bring more stuff over. And where do you hope this ends up? Um, hopefully this ends up in the hands of either civilians or soldiers, really anybody who needs first aid. So you hope it ends up in Ukraine proper, at a place where it's really needed and where people are injured or wounded? Uh, Correct, yes. And Congressman Adam Schiff, a Democrat from Los Angeles, also came by to offer his support for aid efforts to Ukraine. Afterward, Schiff spoke with me about the need to help Ukrainian war refugees who might be coming to California in the near future. Um, I think that we ought to open our doors in the Golden State to Ukrainian refugees, uh, as we have to other refugees from war-torn places. And, and I think the Ukrainian community here can be a great resource to them. And I assume those preparations you think have to happen now. Absolutely. I mean, we're already seeing refugee flows that are greater than anything we've seen since World War II, and there's no sign that that's going to let up. Meanwhile, Ukrainian advocates in the Bay Area welcome news that federal authorities will offer humanitarian protections to thousands of Ukrainians already in the U.S. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. An estimated 75,000 Ukrainians could receive temporary protected status for 18 months if they arrived in the U.S. before March 1st. This is definitely helpful, but I know people who arrived just, you know, one day late. Igor Markov is with the nonprofit Nova Ukraine in Palo Alto. He says the U.S. could also streamline visa applications to help more Ukrainians who fled the Russian invasion. European Countries have already made it much easier for Ukrainians to stay in Europe. We hope that the U.S. can join these measures. More than 300,000 immigrants currently have TPS, a protection for those who can't return safely to their countries because of war or natural disasters. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. 
and staying on Ukraine, Governor Gavin Newsom has signed an executive order directing state agencies to ensure that they're complying with economic sanctions that have been imposed in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. State agencies and departments are being asked to review their contracts and terminate those that aren't in compliance with the U.S. government's response to the Russian invasion. Newsom's order also requires agencies to look at the steps they're taking to support Ukraine, such as halting financial transactions with Russia, and not transferring technology to Russian entities. Because of the war in Ukraine and volatility in global energy markets, for the first time in state history, the average price of gas has topped $5 a gallon. And that's causing gas pump sticker shock at filling stations across the state. Here in Southern California, motorist Melvin Funes talked to me as he filled up his truck in South L.A. 16 gallons. 16 gallons. 92.95. Yeah. That's ridiculous. But and say a year ago, six months ago, this would have been what? Oh, I mean, 70 bucks. Yeah, but come on, that's damn near so this, 100 bucks. So clearly yeah, higher. You feel it with each. It. Yeah, yeah, we're feeling it. We're feeling it. But hey, what can we do? We live in California. It's like we pay for the weather. Now we're paying for the gas. Like other drivers I talked to, Funes said he would try to save money by cutting back on some unnecessary driving. Others talked about high gas prices, encouraging them to buy electric vehicles. And in the face of higher pump prices, Republican state lawmakers are calling for a six-month suspension of California's state gas tax, which now totals 51 cents a gallon. But Democrats say that tax is essential in paying for transportation infrastructure improvements, and suspending it would cost the state half a billion dollars in revenue. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. The union representing teachers in the Oakland Unified School District is increasing the pressure on OUSD over its plans to close several schools in the city. KQED's Annalise Finney says the plan has drawn plenty of complaints, which could be heard at a rally over the weekend. Hundreds of teachers and families marched down International Boulevard in East Oakland on Saturday, bouncing to Missy Elliott and demanding that Oakland Unified reverse its plan to shut down seven schools and merge two others. The district's plan has drawn outrage from educators, families, and community members across the city. And officials with the teachers' union say the plan violates an agreement between the district and the union, made after the 2019 teachers' strike. Keith Brown, president of the Oakland Education Association, was at the rally. 
there has to be at least one year of engagement with the community before any school closure can happen. And what the majority board of, the, of OUSD has done is illegal. It's a violation of that agreement. The Public Employees Relations Board filed a complaint with the district after reviewing the union's allegations. Brown says he hopes the complaint will help the union bring the district's closure plan before a judge this spring. For the California Report, I'm Annalise Finney. California State Parks is considering a new name for part of Folsom Lake State Recreation Area east of Sacramento. Some residents say the current name, Negro Bar, has caused harm for decades. Cap Radio's race and equity reporter Sarah Mises Tan explains. The name has been a flashpoint for years, as it includes a word that refers to African Americans that can be seen as outdated at best and deeply offensive at worst. Now, California State Parks has undertaken an initiative to re-examine the history of some of its properties through a more diverse lens. Here's Alexandra Stell of State Parks. Well, we're building on the efforts to support equity and inclusion, and this area has been requested in the past. State Parks has, you know, agreed that it is a priority to rename this area. I took a trip to this spot, which sits along a bend in the American River. It's a picturesque place, popular with kayakers and paddleboarders. Park ranger Brian Hadnagy says this is one of the first places African Americans mined for gold. The reason why it was called Negro Bar is because uh, the black people came here to do prospecting and all that. So this was their side. He gestures to empty signposts. We're still waiting to go put plaques on all of these brand new stationary areas for historical purposes, for information. But there's been disagreement about the area's name. The debate has even been within the NACP when it comes to the name change or removing the word Negro. That's Betty Williams, president of the Sacramento chapter of the NAACP. She says the word used in the area's name hasn't always been a slur. During that time, the word Negro was considered a professional and a word that described professional, hardworking African-American individuals, African-American Blacks. A strong advocate for keeping the current name is Michael Harris. He's a Black local historian who doesn't see the need for change. Given the contextual nature of the time frame in question, 1840 to 1875, the notion of focusing on the name is intentionally disrespectful, it presupposes disparaging treatment, and it certainly negates any of the contributions of the people of African descent in the gold rush era. He says he's concerned about the watering down of history to make some people feel more comfortable. If we're going to say the N-word and put a 21st century context to it, it is disrespectful. Nobody's going to be called Negro today, but historically, that's what we were. But Jen Johnson, who's a longtime Folsom resident, disagrees. As a Black woman, she says she feels uncomfortable with the park's current name. She's avoided going there because of what it's called. I'm not going to a place called Negro Bar where every other person is in white skin using that term. According to the most recent census data, the town of Folsom is just 3% African-American. Johnson says as a result, keeping the current name without much context or history is problematic. And if people like me 
are saying and screaming from the hilltop, this word has been used in this community to hurt me. Please stop using it. Again, the least we could do is bend to that and help them feel more welcomed. And hopefully I can go to that park someday without feeling absolutely sick to my stomach about that name. The State Parks Commission will be voting on a potential name change this summer. Some alternatives include Black Miners Bar, Black Freedom Bar, or Historic Negro Bar. The commission hopes an upcoming educational campaign will elevate Black miners' contributions to the area's history and make it a place that's welcoming for Black visitors in the future. For The California Report, I'm Sarah Mises-Tan in Folsom. In Oakland, a proposal to close and consolidate a number of public schools has sparked community outrage in recent weeks, leading to student walkouts and protests by staff and parents. Critics of Oakland's school closure plan say it's a social justice issue, arguing the shuttering of campuses will harm poor students of color. Black and brown schools have been targeted in the history of Oakland to be shut down. But Oakland Unified says there's no alternative to closing and combining schools because of budget problems and a falling student population. And that second issue goes way beyond Oakland. The state projects K-12 student enrollment in California will drop by 11% over the next decade. But the decline will be bigger in many school districts, 16% in Santa Clara, 18% in Santa Cruz, and nearly 20% in Los Angeles. What's happening here? Well, the biggest issue is the state's changing demography. California, for the first time in its history, had negative population growth last year. That's Michael Fine, the executive director of California's Fiscal Crisis and Management Assistance Team. He essentially helps school districts deal with budgetary and strategic planning challenges. And Fine says the biggest challenge is keeping some schools open as California's child population falls. Ultimately, the, the number one influencer in all of this is declining birth rates. So we're, we're just below 12 births per thousand. The last time we were in this neighborhood uh, was in 1933 following the Great Depression. That trend, says Fine, has already created big student population declines in many California school districts, especially one. You're more familiar with Oakland. Let me take you to Southern California to Inglewood Unified, right by the LAX airport uh, district that 20 some years ago had 18,000 students. Today it's seven below 7,000. Fine says when he reviews demographic trends with educational leaders that could lead to school closures, some are willing to confront the reality, others not so much. So staffs, I think, have a very decent understanding of this. I'm not sure elected school boards do. And so they don't want to deal with it. I, if I were setting on a board, I wouldn't want my superintendent coming to me and saying, we got to talk about this decline and its impact on our facilities and all that. So I, I'm not sure all of our school board members want or fully appreciate the trends that their districts may be in. Fine says that in a state where school funding formulas are tied to how many pupils are in classrooms, declining student populations will force elected officials to develop funding alternatives. He also says that school districts that close campuses should look for ways to generate income from the properties to fund programs in schools that remain open. 
And that's the California Report for this Monday, March 7th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.